Hi, I'm Steve Longo. Welcome to another episode of Rock and Roll Show and Tell. I pulled today's stories from the archive going back to May 7th, 2020. Stories <laughs> about meeting John Entwistle, playing with John for the first time, meeting the Who's management, and ultimately my first encounter with Pete Townsend. Welcome back to the No Gloom Ballroom. And there's, uh, it's been a, it's been a crazy day. Um, I started my day off, I, you know, flipped on the news, and I see a monkey dragging a little kid down the street in Indonesia. Now, that's never a good way to start your day. Um, it's even worse if he rides up on a motorcycle and then gets off and drags. I mean, and who's filming this stuff? Who is filming this? I, I don't know. Then I got a very sad call uh, from a journalist that I know in the area asking me if I knew that uh, Brian Howe had passed away. Brian Howe, uh, the vocalist for Bad Company, and uh, was a neighbor of ours and uh, lived in Fort Myers Beach, which is a town over from where we are. Um, I didn't uh, know Brian terribly well. But I certainly knew um, his music, and uh, having formerly been friends with Simon Kirk, I was aware that uh, they were getting the band back together with uh, with Brian Howe. And, um, you know, like the business goes, we had friends uh, that were friends. Um, we did a Robin uh, Xander Band show, and uh, Brian was friends with Robin, turned up, and... Um, I should have probably uh, gotten that magazine cover that we did uh, a few years ago. We were asked, you know, why rockers pick Southwest Florida. And uh, it was Brian, Cliff Williams, and myself. And, you know, I mean, we all have reasons that we live here, but basically it's very easy to live here. And uh, so I get a call from the journalist this morning, and he said, uh, were you aware that Brian Howe passed away, and I said no. Uh, you know, and apparently it had just happened. It, it hadn't even been uh, hadn't even been um, pushed out on TMZ yet. So um, I said no. I didn't. I, I didn't know that. I, you know, uh, thank you for telling me. I knew he was ill because um, the last time I think he had a heart attack a while back, and um, Larry Hobbs, Doctor Hobbs called me up to tell me about it and I uh, cuz you know we were all in the same circle like I said I didn't know Brian terribly well but I you know I knew him and we were in the club so there you go um and so uh, the journalist said to me you know I know a lot of people didn't like Brian and he was looking I guess to get my take on Brian how did I like him did I not like him you know uh, and I said well I didn't really know him well enough, and I'll tell you why I didn't know him well enough, and this is it was interesting to me. When I first came down to Florida, um, I think I was doing a uh, some kind of a, a, an Entwistle event, and uh, K-Rock was very generous with their time. They invited me on the station to publicize the event, and so on and so on. And I wound up um, 
being a guest host for quite a long time on the Liz Wilde show. It was, you know, kind of zany and... Um, I remember the first couple of nights that I was there, Brian Howe called up the station. And I didn't know whether this was a bit that they were doing. And if, if you're, if you're uh, Fort Myers people, especially if you're uh, K-Rock people, you'll remember this going on. I didn't know if it was a staged feud or whatever it was. And there was, they were screaming stuff. I mean, it was insane. It was like being all of a sudden being transported into the middle of Howard Stern, but you don't know anybody. And they're screaming, yeah, you, da, da, da. and Mickey's going, ah, you drunken, and then, 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 So, as a result of that, I mean, I'm new to the area. I don't even know Cliff yet. I've just only been here a month or whatever it is, a couple of months. And um, so I keep my head down. I, you know, I don't say anything about Brian Howe. I don't really know Brian Howe. As I said, my whole connection to Bad Company was my friendship with Simon Kirk. Um, and that was that. Great band. Saw them in the 70s with Paul Rogers at uh, Schaefer Music Festival in, in Central Park. Ron Delsner presents. Oh, I can't. so anyway. Um, let's see, where are we going? Oh, Bob Barron's watching. Bert, hello, Peter. So, uh, anyway, um, yeah, Central Park, bad company. So we lost Brian Howe, and, um, you know, the thing that I, I questioned, was he misunderstood, or, you know, uh, I didn't really know the guy, and, you know, once you, um, get hooked with that, you know, not being a nice guy rep, it's not easy to, uh, to shake. <laughs> so rest in peace, Brian. Um, you were a major talent, you wrote some incredible stuff, and uh, you were a dog lover, an animal lover, and to me, that's better than all the gold records in the world, so props to you, man, rest in peace, and I'll see you out there. Moving right along, uh, it could be time for a new VCR. We've been watching these... Uh, as I call them, game tapes. And one uh, seems to be worse than the next. And so now I'm in that place where, is it the interface that I bought? Is it the VCR? Because I'm down to my last VCR. They have all blown up. And so I'm thinking, then I think to myself, where do you get a VCR? I mean, I don't think they're selling them at uh, Best Buy. So I figure uh, Goodwill or maybe... One of the, an estate sale. Probably pick a nice one up there. Anyway, um, some of the video that I'm going to show you today is a little rainbowy, And I know that this video is better than that. So um, I'm going to blame it on the VCR first. And then if uh, that doesn't work, I can always use a backup. Uh, then I'll think about this interface. So... Um, I guess it's time to buy some new gear for the show, so uh, support the show, and there you go. And speaking of supporting the show, I'm going to take a minute out uh, for a word from our sponsor.
a zen moment. Backtrack a little bit through my rat race uh, and whistle stuff. And before I move into that, um, let's see, okay. Before I move into that, I should probably tell you that I had a very, uh, a really cool conversation with a fan this morning um, about John's book. The book. If you have you seen John's book, uh, or have you seen that it's not, it's not written by John, but it's about John. It's the uh, authorized biography, um, authorized by the estate, written by a guy called Paul Rees. It's the Ox, the last of the great rock stars, and I haven't um, read it yet, but I did. Um, I did interview for it. Over a long period of time, Paul spent a lot of time, um, put a lot of care into uh, the writing of this book. It was certainly authorized by Chris Entwistle, and um, from what I've heard, I've been a little afraid to read it, but from what I've heard, it's uh, very, very good and, and right on point. So I thought this would be an interesting day to... Um, chart my uh, my Entwistle journey into Entwistle land. So the next thing that I'm going to show you um, is probably a night that changed my life. It's absolutely a night that changed my life. And um, it led to weird stuff like this. But this is for later in the program. It's a good story, too. But um, before we can get to Pete, I have to get to John. And so, I think you've heard the, you know, how we were at the NAMM show, and, and I kind of wangled us to play in the middle of the biggest jam of the entire convention at the Vic Theater in Chicago, June 27, 1987. And um, it was a night that truly changed my life. Uh, um, the one thing, you know, John was, uh, first of all, the guy would play, if you said want to jam, go ahead. Because that's like, do you want to step out into the street and have a gunfight? Absolutely. I've got my gun and I have some bullets and I'm ready to shoot at you. And he would play with anybody. Um, he wasn't afraid, uh, certainly had no reason to be afraid, but I mean, it didn't, it didn't daunt him to get on stage with anybody because he just, you know, only takes two words to blow you away. And um, I guess he felt, uh, and I should, I have to acknowledge, because when I play this piece, I have to acknowledge that this footage was uh, captured by John Hammond, uh, who was also a big player in my meeting John and the friendship and the uh, career that ensued as a result of that. So props uh, go out big time to John Hammond and, of course, Joe Berger, who really made the introduction. I mean, how, how do you... Uh-oh. I'm being photobombed by Nippy. What's that about? I did not do that. He's got a magnetic personality. I think it's the hat. Anyway, um... You know, they both both Joe and uh, and John had told 
John Entwistle that we were, there he is again, um, that uh, we were a capable band and he should meet us and blah, blah, blah. And, and to, you know, to serve history a little bit, these were the nether years for John. 83, 84, 85, 86, 87. Not a lot of Who action going on there. No solo albums. Um, but he did do The Rock, which I think was 84, 85, when that started to come together. Because, um, And when I do uh, my walkabout, you'll see the studio. Because um, I... I shot some footage out of Corwood a couple of times being there just uh, for posterity's sake. And you never know, you know, I was, we were also scouting locations for our video. And there's a bunch of stuff to go over here, but this is going to take forever. So I'm just going to get right back on to this. Um, this was a night that absolutely changed my life forever. Uh, I met someone who has uh, become one of the most important people of all time to me. That's overindulgent middle keyboard part here at a NAMM show. <laughs> Want to ride? Um, but imagine you're the greatest bass player, rock and roll bass player of all time, member of the British Invasion. Um, you know, how many credits? And some guys say, hey, want to go play some Who songs? And then you jump up on a stage in front of 5,000 people and do this. We had been doing it. We did these songs as kids. So did he, but not since then. And we're all together and know each other's moves, and he doesn't know any of us. That's a lot of pause under pressure. So, anyway, I'll return you back to our regularly scheduled program as soon as the fugue from Bach's Overture concludes. So... What happened next? Well, I'll tell you. We uh, went upstairs into a green room, told jokes for the next several hours. Several hours. Is this my next scene? Yes, it is. Aha. Okay. Jokes for several hours. Here, I'm gonna get... Very nice. Thank you. Um, and we became great friends. He gave me his phone number, said, call me, man. Let's stay in touch. And the thing that I wanted to say, um, you know, when I'm watching these videos, uh, he was far more than um, just a rock star. I mean, the guy, he loved being in a band. I'm telling you that for absolute sure. He loved being in a band. He uh, he was happy to be the center of attention any time, but he really did love being in a band. And uh, you could tell, you know, when we walked off the stage there, we had played four songs, and probably, I don't know when the last time he played any of that live at Leeds stuff was. Um, but we, you could tell when we walked off the stage, he had a little bit of swagger, like, yeah, man, I, I, I did this. Because if you do that, especially if you do that in a band like The Who, uh, where do you get that rush later on in the day? And um, that was the part of it. It was, it was where it started for me. Um, 
we were very proud of the music that we made for 15 years, and uh, and that night absolutely changed my life. I mean, he was a funny guy. We were we were just friends right away. There was there was no class distinction. I've said that before. It was not like, well, you're in a New York cover band, and I'm in the greatest rock and roll band of the world. None of that. It was all about what happened, you know, when the when the notes were being played. So now I've got to uh, segue over, you know. So you know that the uh, the um, K Rock uh, Blood Drive happened right in '87. Now I should tell you something about that, and uh, uh, this is an interesting story. We're getting ready to go on um, at the bottom line, and uh, sorry, I'm just trying. To, okay. Getting ready to go on at the bottom line, and uh, Bill Kerbishley and Ann Weldon turn up. If you don't know who they are, uh, Bill manages the Who, and uh, Ann Weldon was like his number one at Left Field Services and Trinifold uh, in the UK. So, okay, awkward moment. Bill hands John a letter. Letters from Pete says, Dear John, if you continue to perform the music of The Who with this American band, The Who will never perform together again. Is that what he said? Okay. That's what he said. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> Did I break something? And then Kerbishley goes on to invite me out to dinner with John, obviously, and uh, Lori, Ann. And um, he found out that I had uh, booked a tour. And he said to me, I mean, he was very nice, uh, not imposing or angry in the least, and he said to me, you've done something that no one else in the world could ever do. And I figured, well, okay, uh, that would give you a good reason to get rid of me. But no, he never did. And and actually, uh, our two offices, whenever we had to, worked very well together. And, um, you know, cheers to uh, to all the people at uh, Trinifold, especially we had some good friends there, Cookie, uh, of course, Bill, and everyone else. So, um... I said, well, John, what does that mean? You know, we can't not do these dates. And he said, uh, something to something that added up to don't worry about it. Two short John words. Ah, don't worry about it. <laughs> and we didn't. So we went on and we did that 87 tour, right, through the holiday season. And I told the story about the, the, the whole thing. And this is really where it all started. And the one thing you don't ever want to do to John is tell him not to do something. Just don't do it. Don't tell him to... Or you don't want to tell him to do something. You don't want to tell him not. You don't want to tell him anything like turn down. Bad idea. Don't do it. Side note. 2001. Abbey Road Tour. Alan Parsons says to me, can you ask John to turn down? I said, yeah, I can ask him, but I'm not gonna. 
that's John Entwistle. I said, well, he's playing loud. I said, well, did you read the, the pamphlet? <laughs> and you can't change that. It's, you know, it's a, it's a building. It's a skyline. It's a, a force of nature. Okay. So we go out and we do the 87 tour. No one dies in their sleep, thankfully. Hmm. Close up on And, uh... Following year, John says, uh, "Well, you know, we we kept in touch." Because, needless to say, that's something I want to do again somehow, some way. But it didn't seem that it was fated to uh, to be with Rat Race. Um, and John actually asked me if I would join his band and if we could sort of partner up business-wise and put together a uh, a tour of the states and Canada and um, maybe support. The Rock, the record, the white record that John drew the album cover of. And, uh, you know, hoping that we would get a deal. We didn't have, the, the record wasn't pressed. We didn't actually get that record. He didn't actually get that record done until uh, the 90s. But this was 88. We thought if we played the material from that record, which we did, um, someone might notice. And uh, maybe there was a record deal out there for us. But it was just, uh, that was not meant to be. Um, so we kicked around, and then all of a sudden, uh, that tour ends, and uh, that was not, um, it was an interesting tour. It wasn't my favorite tour of all time, um, but it was, uh, it was strange, because I was playing with guys that I didn't really know. I had been used to being in Rat Race with guys that I grew up with, um, and this was totally strange people, and the, my, the person I knew the best was John, so... What does that tell you? Oh, there goes Nippy again. Okay. I'm not sure who's running a camera today. It must be John, because I don't have a cameraman, but it's fun. It's all good. Okay. Time check. All right, so we, uh, we remain friends, 88. We're trying to think of different things to do. All of a sudden, he rings me up, and he goes, Ah, Townsend's putting the who back together. We're going to do, uh, what was it, Tommy. And they, you, you remember in 89 when they did Tommy. And they had uh, Simon Phillips on drums and they had this whole big thing. And it was not clear to anyone at the time what they were going to do or how they were going to do it. It was just clear that they were going to do it. And I said, you know, I mean, as shy and retiring as I am, I said, uh, I said, do I want to try to get that gig? And he said, no. And I said, why not? I said, look at what we do together. He said, no, nah, not there. And I said, he said that you would not be happy. And he said a lot of stuff, and I'm not going to go deep into it because I don't want to. He just said it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a good idea. And I said, well, look, okay, I, I'm not asking you to ask them. I'm not even asking you to do anything. But at least give me an address. So I can pitch myself. I'll I'll write a letter. No problem. He said, Yeah. And I said, Yeah. I, you know, I'll write a letter. I'll tell him, you know, whoever you give me the address, I'll write the letter. I'll state my case. So he gives me Pete's address. Okay. So I write Pete this letter, man, you know, and I've been connected with John Entwistle and we have, you know, summoned the fury of live at Leeds and playing with him seems, you know, and I write this as eloquent as I can without 
you know, rewriting the dictionary, because I know I'm talking to Pete here, the the bard of lyrics. I mean, the guy's a, you know, he uses words that haven't even been said yet. Sorry. So I write him the letter. I'm waiting for the check and the contract. Doesn't show up. Talking to John, another week, another this. I don't mention it. He says, did you mail the letter? I said, uh, yeah. Okay, well, all right. I warned you. You know, I'm a leave it to the, to, you know, leave fate to the wind. If that's where we're going, let's try it out. So I don't hear anything back. And a while goes on, John starts to tell me the rehearsals are happening, and he, I don't ask who the drummer is, he doesn't say who the drummer is, um, and uh, you know the rest, it's Simon Phillips, so okay, no problem, I mean the guy's great, he did a great job on those shows, and um, he's one of the great English rock drummers out there, and um, I was disappointed. But I'd rather be in our band. I mean, nobody doesn't want to be in The Who, and I'm not telling you that. But I was very happy to create our own thing. And what I was telling you before is that John was too. He was very proud of what we did. It didn't have to... You know, when you're in The Who, or when you're in The Beatles, you don't start a Jimmy Buffett tribute band. You know what I mean? It's just... No offense, Jimmy. Um, Anyway... So, 89 rolls around, I get a call from John, uh, we're playing New York. And I guess that was uh, Giant Stadium, and I went and I saw the band, and and then they continued that tour, and later in the year, I guess, we went to Madison Square Garden. And, you know, whenever John was close, um, he wanted us to hang out, and we did, gladly. So, we go to the garden. And we're in the green room, and if you've been backstage, there's usually a, a it's not a, it's like a dressing room, but it's, it's kind of a common area where you meet guests and you can leave and no one can follow you or you, you know, and it's filled with food, food and desserts and treats and fruit and everything. So we're in there and I'm eating an apple and uh, I don't know if anybody, there, there was a couple people milling around, you know, I, I think it was, you know, <laughs> it was, uh, I don't know, there's a handful of guests, right? Maybe 40 people, 30, 40, 50 people, maybe. And Roger comes in and he goes, they're eating our fucking food! Well, guys going to eat all this? I mean, this is like a uh, one of those baskets, you know, the horn of plenty, just for the fruit. So I think, oh, this is not going well. You know, this is going to be weird. And John's in there, and he's talking to people, and I'm trying not to cling on to John, because this is the first time I'm going to meet the guys in his band. Or whatever it's going to be. So I'm kind of standing around, and it's a little boring. I don't really go for the backstage thing like that. You know, I mean, I love hanging out and the whole thing, but I don't like to just stand around and watch everybody do what they do. I want to be involved, I want to tell stories or get something to eat or leave. So I see Pete standing over in the corner, alone. And there's a, there's a set of um, 
like couches, you know the couches that you can arrange, the modular couches, it's like turns into a square or you can make an L. Those are in the center of the room and Peter's on the opposite side. I walk around these couches and I walk right up to Pete and I said, uh, how are you? He said, I'm very good, thanks, how are you? I said, I'm doing well. I said, it sounds good tonight. I said, uh, really enjoyed it. I said, I really felt it tonight. And he said, yeah. I said, do you, do you know the, uh, the ultimate age for someone to climb the Iger? I'm thinking to myself, do I even know what the Iger is? Well, of course I do. It's a Clint Eastwood movie. <laughs> so I said, no, no, I don't. And he said, uh, 38. Just old enough to know what you need to know and young enough to still make the climb. And I was stunned at that revelation. And I said, well, not unlike what you guys are doing here tonight. And he smiled and we just sort of stood there and John saw me and freaked out. Don't forget, he knows I sent Pete a letter. He has no idea what the crazy American drummer is now saying to the guitar player in The Who. So John, not unlike Bruce Jenner, leaps over the couches, leaps over the couches. Well, very much unlike Bruce Jenner, but leaps like an athlete and grabs me from behind in a bear hug and going and starts going what 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 over my shoulder here what 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 are you, what are you doing what 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 and and Pete is like looking at John like what is this behavior because Pete doesn't know who I am it's not like Pete has the book or, or bought the record <laughs> Pete has no idea he thinks I'm somebody who's not going all goo goo about him obviously maybe I'm in the business but he doesn't know who I am and John is freaking so he's got me in a bear hug from behind. He's going, what, 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 And I said, take it easy, take it easy. And so I, I spin him around, and he comes up behind me, and now I've got him in a bear hug from behind. And he sort of does, John. And he says to Pete, this is what happens when your drummer's bigger than you are. And Pete's mouth dropped open. <laughs> I imagine mine probably did too. And uh, it was just bizarre. So later on, Pete comes over to me and he hands me this. Can you see this? I was going to take a picture of it, but I thought, you know, the actual piece and it's so basically, it's Pete Townsend invites you to Red Zone for champagne, food, and drink. Immediately following tonight's performance. So, okay. Hey, there's a nipster. So we go over. And we go through the, you know, I mean, this is the city's my turf. It's when we go up uh, into the Red Zone. And he sees John and... And I and, and Laura and, uh, walk in all together. And he comes over and right to me and he says, I left strict instructions for you not to be allowed in. 
I said, nah. I said, yeah, I know, but this is New York, so I just bullshitted my way around that. And, uh, and he laughed, and I laughed, and John was like, oh, canal, canal. And uh, the rest, as they say, you know how it goes. Um, Pete and I stayed in contact, not close contact, but I like to think that uh, we're friends um, to a certain degree, certainly comrades in arms. Um, he did a, an amazing interview for my film, which you should watch if you have Prime. An Ox's Tale, The John Entwistle Story, directed by me. <laughs> it's never just one guy. Um, and uh, you should check out the book, The Ox, The Last of the Great Rock Stars, Paul Rees. Another rock and roll show and tell in the books. That'll do it here in the No Gloom Ballroom. Thanks for joining me. And until next time, I'll see you out there. And if I don't see you in the future, I'll see you in the pasture. <laughs>